Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. In today's episode, I'm speaking to the wonderful Katina Thornock. Katina is currently the Vice President, Senior Litigation Counsel at Providence Health. She's had a stellar career. She started out life as a prosecutor, went into private practice, spent 11 years at Starbucks, and she was the Managing Director, Corporate Counsel for Global Litigation there, and a year and a half ago um, started at Providence to take on the VP role there. Now, I thought about what I would say about Katina in this uh, brief introduction, and um, here's where I landed. I'm super proud and grateful that the legal profession has managed to produce leaders like Katina, and I'm going to let you listen to why. So without any further delay, in the usual fashion, sit back, chillax, and enjoy. Welcome to the show. It's fantastic to have you on board. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. And, and Katina, I'm going to bust right in to your early career. Okay. Oh, hang on, let me set the scene a little bit. You're currently, of course, the Vice President, uh, Senior Corporate Counsel for Litigation in Providence. You've been there now for under two years, one and a half years. You've got, of course, a long history before that. Before we go into that history, I'm going to take you right back to the beginning of your career. You started off life as a prosecutor. Tell me about that. What are those early learnings in those foundational years when you first started practicing law? Oh, that's a great that's a great question. You know, th- those were incredible years. And I think my big takeaway was sink or swim fast. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Because as a prosecutor, you really are given an opportunity to be thrown right into the mix. I can recall being a young, inexperienced attorney with, you know, huge case dockets, you know, having to learn to manage those uh, quickly, come up to speed quickly, analyze facts and evidence very quickly, and to build a relationship and rapport with the judge and the clerk and and whatnot. I can recall when I was in Pierce County, I was assigned to the courtroom of Judge Jack Nevin, and uh, he's was ex-military, uh, just very, very strict. Protocol was not, uh, you know, to, to be uh, sidestepped. And I learned yep. so much from from Jack Nevin, just how to conduct myself in the courtroom. A lot about de- courtroom decorum, taking your cues from the judge, knowing your yep. audience, and, and being prepared really being prepared. What a fantastic couple of years to start off with. I wonder, Katina, right now, do we, I feel like sometimes we are afraid to allow people to sink or swim, that we soften sometimes the experience for people joining our teams. I'm just, have you got any views on that? Um, Because I think about that too, the the early lessons in your career, and it's typically the mo- the ones you learn the most from are the hardest and the ones where you feel like you are drowning. Have we softened a little bit or, or does it feel like we've softened because we're perhaps a little bit more experienced? What are your thoughts? I don't know if 
we have, but I mean, it, it's certainly it's certainly possible. I think I think one of the main issues is the reluctance to be transparent with feedback. Yeah. The reluctance to tell a young associate or a young prosecutor where yeah. they might have opportunities to develop. Yeah. Right. Yep. And to sort of allow them to fail yeah. and not not address those issues. I mean, everyone fails at some time or another. Yeah. But in order to to succeed, you need to have a support network around you. you do. That's investing yep. in you as an attorney, um, as a young professional that's, you know, sort of taking you under their wing and mentoring you. And I think to the extent we don't do that, we are doing a disservice to young to young lawyers and young talent. Yeah, and this feedback is a funny thing because I think most people are not naturally inclined to provide direct, honest feedback. It's hard to do. Mm-hmm. And we feel like sometimes our natural inclination is we are hurting feelings. We try and soften. But those that develop the skill, the feedback skill, really early really open and transparent conversations. I actually think it's a superpower. I do too. I do too. Yeah. And I believe it's, a, you know, it's a part of servant leadership, right? Yeah. Because to the extent you can, you know, bring somebody along, right? And sort of highlight where they might improve or what they did. You know, obviously recognize what they did well. Yeah. Ultimately, I think that helps you become a better leader. It helps the individual who's training and who's growing to understand where their opportunities lie. And I just think there's a way to go about doing it, right? I mean, you don't yep. be critical. You don't, you, you know, negative. You know, yep. if that's not necessary. I think if you think of it as positive, and like, here's, here are a couple of things that you may want to, yep. know, right? Yep. It's funny, Katine, when I think about, and this is not about me, but sometimes it is on to the topic about me. When I think about the people that I am most proud of in terms of how they've developed in their career that I'd mentored early, I'm not sure if this is the right thing to say on air, but it was typically the ones that I was hardest on. Mm-hmm. It was typically the ones that I probably didn't use the kind of language that I would use today. I caught up with one yesterday just by coincidence and he shared some stories with me that I'd kind of forgotten that I felt mortified over (laughs) the approach that I'd taken. But they were stories and they were lessons that really impacted in a positive long-term way for that particular person. But I'm not sure they are lessons that I would deliver in the same way today. Sure. So so, so there's this, I'm a little bit torn, I have to say, in that balance. Well, and I also think it's, I think as a, as a recipient of feedback, you have to have a certain mindset, right? Yeah. I think you need to assume positive intent. Right? Yes, absolutely right. Most people are good. Most people want to help. And if you can find that mentor or that yeah. supervisor who is actually willing to share feedback, which I think is, again, going back, it's vitally important to, to yeah. development, take it with an open mind and an open heart. Right. And see if yep. there's a nugget in there that you can actually, you know, glom and hold on to. Right. And really utilize as you move forward. And there's no doubt to me that is part and parcel of having a growth mindset yes. and developing that as early as you can and recognizing that the feedback you're getting. And sometimes people deliver it really well and sometimes it won't be mm-hmm. delivered very well mm-hmm. just because of the nature of the experience or they're very individual. But if you at the, as the recipient have developed or are on the constant 
journey to, to continue developing a growth mindset, I think that absolutely helps. I think we're in a time where we're we're talking about the growth mindset, right? More yeah. frequently, people are they certainly are. In their courses, there's all sorts of literature, and it's become. Um, more ingrained, I think, in who we are as a, a society, particularly in the yep. professional realm. And so I do believe that there is there is a greater openness to receiving that um, because people yep. want to grow and change and sort of be our best selves, you know, practice at the top of our license. And you can't yep. really do that if you are constantly believing that you're, on, you're under attack. I agree. And, and the more it can be part of the conversation. Yes. And the more we can, you know, form part of the communications for everyone, I think I think the more accepted it'll continue to be. So you're right. I think it's a it's an absolutely positive trend. Okay. You then spent the next part of your career in private practice. Tell us a little bit about those years and perhaps some of the takeaways for you from those years before you joined Starbucks and we'll get to that story. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I transitioned uh, from the from the criminal prosecution side over to the civil side. I had a good friend who was at a law firm here in the Seattle area who just gave me a call one day and said, I know yep. you're in the prosecuting attorney's office. You probably don't want to leave, but we're looking to bring on a, you know, a young associate. And yep. I just thought of you. Thought you would be a great fit. Uh, so I thought about it for a while and interviewed with the shareholders over there and um, some of whom I had already been familiar with from past experiences and interactions and, you know, started at that, uh, you know, that smaller uh, insurance defense driven yep. firm. And again, it was an opportunity to get my feet wet really early. Um, you know, taking depositions, uh, arguing motions and doing all, you know, all those things that oftentimes in larger law firms, you don't have an opportunity to engage in for, for yeah. years. And, you know, was fortunate to avail myself of mentorship, the mentorship of some very strong, incredible female shareholders uh, at the time and sort of grew up under them. And I can remember there was one in particular, and I, I just remember I used to be so nervous going to those those depositions, those civil depositions, and, and with she, her in particular. Is, yeah, is no, no, she yeah. Would, no, with others, like with opposing oh, counsel. And, right. Okay. You know, and and she would say to me, "You don't let those old guys talk." <laughs> it's like you stand up for yourself. They're going to come for you. Yeah, it was just. I you love know what I mean? It was just so. It was so great, but it literally, I mean, just just having someone, you know sort of give me license, right, to, yeah. to stand up and to not be bullied as a young associate and yep. to say, you know, you don't need to tell me how to practice law, yep. you know, yep. Mr. Johnson. You know what yep. I mean? Yep. <laughs> like, uh, uh, we'll uh, call the judge right uh, now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I feel like the Rocky music is on outside the door before you're walking in. You know? Right. <laughs> just feel... right. But, but I mean, I, I tell that story just to say that you can't discount the importance of strong mentorship. Yeah. Yeah. Now here I was as a as a young attorney going over into a new uh, you know subject matter area you know being being provided with these opportunities uh, you know to practice uh -huh. in a real way but having someone there to say you know this is how it goes you know what yeah. I mean and this is how and be, be it's okay to be you it's yeah. okay to be you you don't need to let them walk all over you you know yeah. the material you know the craft go 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 do it. Right. And it just boosted my confidence infinitely. And, and it's funny, isn't it? The, the, the words of someone you respect, the mentor, and, and it might only be a, a single sentence or whatever, it, it, they are so powerful mm -hmm. early in your career. Mm -hmm. And I keep 
having to remind myself of the power of your words as someone which is you know more experienced and making sure that you're exercising if you like or empowerment empowering those less experienced around you and how how important those words are the gestures the approaches the just making the opportunities available absolutely and, and absolutely. that's where and you know early in your career it is all about the opportunities that someone else makes available for you someone else who with hopefully a bit more belief than you've got in yourself and that mm-hmm. suddenly gives you an opportunity to rise the occasion they're my favorite favorite yeah, stories absolutely absolutely and that's how that that's to me that's how personal growth is achieved that's how careers are made it's never a journey on your own yes it is uh standing on the shoulders of, shoulders of others absolutely you know, fantastic absolutely. now you you joined um Starbucks uh, I think that was back in 2000 well you were there for 11 years when did you join was that 2009 2009 2009. but there was a bit of a story before you got there in 2009 can you share that with us yeah I was fortunate to have been selected as um, an intern for Starbucks I was a student at Seattle University School of Law and worked there I guess it would have been the summer of 99 first year, uh, this summer after my first year of yep. law school. And so I had an opportunity to work on discrete projects with uh, the then general counsel and what was a much smaller legal department. Of course. Like Starbucks <laughs> enjoys. Currently. 1999. I mean, think about that. <laughs> and for those out there listening, I mean, it would have been a, a, a fraction of its current self. Yes, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, again, much smaller legal department, very intimate, had an opportunity just to develop some really key relationships. And I was just so enamored with the company and the yeah. entrepreneurial spirit, yep. not to mention the mission and values, even way back when. I mean, you know, Howard is just a you know, it's a, he's a visionary leader and that really permeated. Uh, and and he's back, of course. He's back. <laughs> You've yes. seen that? He's back. Yes, of course. Yes. So, yep, he, yep. he is back. And so, you know, when I when I wrapped that, I actually ended up staying on for a year. Right. I was invited to stay on for a year. And then when I, you know, left Starbucks, I was sad and always, you know, thought to myself, if I could ever, ever situate my career such that I could return to Starbucks, then that is what I'm going to do. Yep. It happened. And that's what you did in 2009. And you were there for 11 years. So for 11 years. Managing Director of Corporate Council Global Litigation. Certainly that was your title before you left. Tell me about that journey because you would have seen yeah. enormous growth, enormous change, enormous challenge. Right. What, imp- what are you left with when you think about that part of your career? Oh, just, you know, happy memories and yep. just a belief that those were really incredibly formative years. You know, when I joined Starbucks, I joined as a corporate counsel, so entry-level litigation attorney. There were only three of us at the time. Wow. Then there were two. And then together with my, with my good friend and colleague, we were able to build the legal department to what it is today. Right. Wow. So it, yep. you know, it's a, a robust machine of incredibly talented litigators, paralegals, and administrative staff. And the work that they do runs the gamut, you know, yeah. everything outside of the employment realm. Yeah. If you were to try and identify just 
just a couple of things that you think made a real difference in being able to build the kind of team that you built at Starbucks. What, 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 are, the, what, what, what are things that stand out for you as this was key for our success? The, the nature of your recruitment, the philosophies, the training, what, 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 what stands out to you for those looking to build yeah. now uh, uh, and the, perhaps those early growth companies now that are, that are emerging what, what, what should they be looking out well, for? Well, I think first and foremost, when you have a, uh, an innovative company with an entrepreneurial spirit, it's rife with risk, right? Yeah. And so yeah. I think, first of all, understanding and being able to articulate the business case for investment uh, in the resources to build yeah. talented teams is critical. And we were able to do that. Um, and then we also had the buy-in and the understanding of other, you know, strong litigators who had come before us, who were, you know, had moved on into management and strategic roles, right. really recognized the value of what we brought and the message that we brought to them about, you know, the additional value we could add to the organization if we were able to diversify yep. and grow, and grow the, uh, the litigation function. And we were able to do that over many years. Senior executive sponsorship, how important is that in any, for, for the success of any department in any organisation? Yes. It is key and certainly and it sounds like this is what you, you had done, building those relationships, the, builders, the, the, the business cases too, but no doubt the credibility from the relationships you're able to build so that when you put those business cases forward, presumably you know, that they had the best possible prospect of making an impact. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, again, that, you know, that credibility, that belief in what we were doing, obviously providing superior results didn't hurt. Right? Yep. Correct. <laughs> right? uh, 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 yeah, no, that, that's right. Yeah. It, it's, it's hard to do everything else, but not and exactly. not deliver on the results. Uh, exactly. Well, yeah, it's hard to succeed. Yeah. Right. But also, you know, and, and not just working in a silo. I mean, I think what's great is the ability to influence cross-functionally, right? To have a seat at the table, you know, with other key stakeholders and help either pro proactively identify risk or manage yep. crises and provide sound strategic business advice. Uh, is, is is always critical, uh, and certainly was it, it was in our case. Yeah, and just on that, because I, I certainly hear that theme a lot. Getting a seat at the table, having a voice that's genuinely heard. What's your advice? What's your advice to let's say the general counsel or senior legal leadership team out there that are struggling a little bit to have a real have a real voice, have a real seat at the table, have an impact? What? What would you say to those that are still on their kind of journey? Yeah, I would say that it's very important to understand the business, right? If you do nothing else, learn the business, yeah. right? Learn what the strategic objectives of your organization are, because yeah. only then can you align yeah. your delivery of legal services, right? And your advice to the company's mission, to the company's strategic plan, um, and then continue to have those conversations with influential stakeholders, yeah. develop relationships with senior management uh, to the best of your ability, because a lot of this is so relationship driven, yeah. you know, as we know. Um, and then I just, you know, be, be uh, relentless, right? In, in, in your, in your pursuit. Yeah. Katana, I think that is 
fantastic advice and I think that is absolutely spot on. The, the relationships being relentless, but the sp- alignment to the strategic goals of the business and making sure that you really do understand that and how your advice is certainly not in a vacuum. It only exists in the context of the business. And that is something I've heard quite a lot on this podcast and some general counsel even taking pride when the business says, oh, I I thought Jenny was just in the business, I didn't really think about Jenny as the general counsel. Right. And that that's that's incredibly yes. powerful. Yes. That's when you know you have you are a strategic business partner. Yeah. Right. We yeah. all we hear that that yeah, we hear it a lot. Bandied about yeah. so incredibly frequently, but that's the essence of what that means, right? That your that your your business colleagues, right, will look to you. Yep. You know, because they trust the the business advice that you are, and some of that may be, be may be filtered through the prism of your legal lens. Yes, right. But at the end of the day, if you're doing an advising such that you are helping them meet their ultimate objectives, and that lifts the enterprise, you know, you're doing your job. Yeah, you're doing your job. So about eighteen months ago, I think you 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 left Starbucks, you joined Providence. Tell me about tell me about the reasons. For joining, what what would the a career change perhaps or a new challenge? Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I love my time at Starbucks. It'll always have a, a place in my heart. But yeah. you know, I think throughout the pandemic, as as with so many other people, you know, I started to just really consider: was I in the right place, right? And was I was I you know rising to my highest best self? Yep. as a legal professional. I love that. Um, and I felt like, I don't know, I, I just felt like maybe there was something different. Yep. I don't want to necessarily use the word more because yep. my time at Starbucks was fantastic. It was just you know, a new challenge, right? And so when um, the Providence opportunity came my way, I had to go, you know, I sort of went through a period of discernment around whether or not <laughs> You know, healthcare, what you know, really, what I want to do, yeah, or yeah, what I, you know, but once I started to research Providence, now obviously I'm a consumer of health, the healthcare services here in the Pacific Northwest that the Providence organization provides yeah. for us, and so from a you know at, from the standpoint of a, of a patient, had always had high regard and respect for the organization, and then considering becoming a caregiver here and the opportunity that was presented to me, it just it it, it was it, it, the perfect synergy. Yep, and, and it's funny when I talk about and even think of my own career. Talk, it's not it's not a question of happiness or unhappiness in an existing position. I think we often get to a position where we ask ourselves, are we growing? Are we achieving the kind of personal growth, personal professional growth that is making us really happy, that is stretching us, that is getting us to a, an uncomfortable zone? I always talk about being mm-hmm. comfortable with being mm-hmm. uncomfortable. Yes. And yeah. I mean, you've had a fantastic career at, at Starbucks and before that, but then you ask yourself, okay, am I still growing? Am I growing at the rate that I want to be growing? So it sounds like 
that was kind of one of the questions you're asking yourself and looking absolutely. for the next next growth phase. And that's yeah, ab- absolutely. But it couldn't be just with any company, right? I mean, you don't leave a, of a course. brand like that where you have garnered so much goodwill and have amazing relationships and an incredible team. You don't walk away from that for nothing, right? Or just or what I should say is for anything, right? For, yep, it's yep. got it's to gotta be the right organization. And that's, you know, that for for me, that was Providence. That was, you know, the mission and values of this particular health system, the innovation, the leadership of Dr. Rod Hockman uh, and his incredibly dynamic team just really, really resonated with me. And then, you know, the then general counsel, Verona Dorch, who I think you and I discussed unfortunately passed away unexpectedly very shortly into my tenure. And I was just really drawn to, you know, to her um, dynamic nature, you know, her incredible uh, professional story and her demonstrated record of developing talent, right, for the next step. So I was really looking forward to to Verona's leadership. And we, uh, unfortunately, we we lost her way too soon. But I still you know, feel blessed to be with Providence. I, you know, we were under great leadership under John Whipple, Mr. John Whipple, who's been with the system for 22 years. The legal department had, you know, a lot of ups and downs in my initial year there. But I think that again, feeds into this narrative about the importance of being uncomfortable, because not only was I brought in, right, to build out a function that until that point had not existed within this health system. But then we're dealing with the very real, you know, real circumstances of having lost a leader, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and having an entire department in the middle of transition when they had just started to settle in under new leadership. So, And so, so, so just in that context, the early priorities for you, once you had your feet on the table, what were they? How have they changed recently? Yeah, well, the the priority is to build a world-class litigation function befitting a health system like Providence. And so to really bring centralization, process improvement, greater oversight and management to our exposures in the claims and litigation space. And so that is still my charge, and uh, we're still working toward that. But I also sit on the leadership team of the Department of Legal Affairs. And so I have an opportunity to uh, participate in uh, in the strategic decisions that we make as a leadership team and how those affect caregivers within our department. Yeah. And tell me, any early indications of the impact of technology, perhaps legal technology, in relation to the function, uh, the legal function, and how you're looking to execute on your strategic objectives? Yeah, well, I mean, there are a number of tools that we utilize and that we continue to explore. You know, the the legal profession hasn't been uh, known for being, you know, incredibly innovative in the tech space. No, really? Oh, oh. I don't know if you knew that, Jim, uh, but, but we're getting, you know, we're getting better. You know, I wouldn't say we've yeah. caught up to the insurance industry or other, but, but yeah. I, would, I, will, I will say that there are tools that, you know, many organizations, not just ours, are beginning to leverage to help us get a yeah. better handle yeah. on data so that we can make data-driven decisions around matter handling, around budget, yeah. uh, uh, and, and so on and so forth. And so yeah. uh, I, I, I expect 
that will continue to innovate. Yeah, I'm sure. And, and when you think about kind of the challenges, the future challenges for a legal department, is, is there anything that stands out for you? Any top top one or two challenges that you think, you know, that, that this should be a priority for most legal departments or they, they need to be looking at this or what looking over the horizon to make sure they're able to meet you know, this particular challenge. Anything that stands out? Well, I mean, I think we should always, I think we should always do our best to see around corners, right? And so that we can be proactive and help our business be proactive in terms of trends, uh, in terms of risk mitigation, uh, in terms of business yep. opportunity. So I think that that is, all, those will always be uh, challenges and yet yep. opportunities. And then, you know, I think, you know, looking just holistically at the legal department, making sure that we're not working yeah. in silos, right? I think that many, you know, oftentimes there can appear to be sort of many law firms yeah. within yeah. in-house litigation or not just litigation, Same. in-house yeah. uh, legal departments, right? And so making sure that we are sharing information right, across the subject matter areas so that we can leverage the knowledge and expertise that is brought to bear within the department to better serve our clients. And any particular strategies that you look to put in place to make sure you get that kind of collaboration, that sharing, that culture, I suppose, of openness and learning, anything in particular? Right. Well, I mean, I think in the era of COVID and the pandemic, it's been you know, incredibly challenging to bring yeah. people together. So there has to be an intentionality, right, around making sure that you have a broader cross-section of individuals communicating and collaborating with one another so that this information can be shared and that that, that whole the spirit of teamwork is elevated, I think, as a result of those, those sorts of discussions, providing a forum. Even if it's a, a monthly meeting or a monthly touch base yep. or a round table where folks come together and share what's happening in, in their areas and that, you know, that might have impact or just be points of interest for their colleagues. Um, so I think, you know, just, you know, Broadening the table, yep. right? Right. So that it's not just the leadership team, you know, chatting about what's going on in the, their respective areas, but we're broadening it so that that more individuals within the department have an opportunity to fellowship, collaborate, and, and information share. And there's nothing like empowering team members with voice and creating an environment where that is, it's very safe, very safe to have a yes. voice. I talk about that being really, and that's got to be worked on constantly. And that's certainly, a, you know, it's certainly a leadership responsibility because it comes from the leadership. It, you know, it's certainly a top down, but creating Absolutely. that kind of environment, that is where people have the greatest opportunity to grow, to learn and to grow. Right. And personal and, and personal satisfaction, yep. right? Because yep. they're feeling heard and Co their opinion matters. And they're not, you know, just sort of off in the, you know, in the corner doing their yep. thing and nobody's asking them what's important to them. Correct. Nobody's asking them what they think. Yep. Right. And especially when you when you as that person, you can you know they're all there are better ways to work. You know there are learnings, but you're not able to share them. That is an environment yes. that will ultimately mean people will leave because yes. people will oh, find yes. people will find where yes. their voice can be heard, where they can make a contribution, where they genuinely feel 
they're making impact and they're valued. Sure. And, and that's the goal. I think that's the goal of any, yep. any organisation, any team. Katina, I know DE&I is very close to your heart. Can you talk a little bit about that and perhaps some of the initiatives that you're, uh, that you're focused on and, and, and fond of? Sure. Yeah, well, you know, obviously, as a as an attorney of color who did not come from a legal background, a family with a legal background, I'm the I'm the pioneer, I guess, yep. for, for my family in this space. You know, it's been an interesting road, yep. right, uh, in the legal profession. It hasn't always been easy. Uh, you know, I think that um, because of who I am and because of my own personal experience, I'm highly sensitized, you know, to the need to increase diversity in the legal profession and yeah. the, and not just for the just not just for the sake of increasing it but because when we have diverse voices at the table we have better decision making right better thought partnership greater efficiencies come naturally right and i think to the extent we are serving communities and organizations like providence or even starbucks having voices around the table that reflect the, the general population in the communities that you serve is vitally important. Yeah, of course, obvious that that's the case. Uh, the challenge, I think the challenge for all uh, of us, some, some more than others, is make sure that it's part and parcel of your everyday and creating those kind of opportunities and making sure that the that there are diverse voices and that they are all being heard and that they are reflective <laughs> of the community you're serving. Such a basic and obvious proposition, but some, right. sometimes it's taken us a while <laughs> yes. to, 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 to give effect to it. it. Yeah. You know, and it's just good for the bottom line, yep. right? It's good for the bottom line, yep. right? And so, you know, I, you know, speak on diversity topics with a number of organizations throughout the country. I, you know, I, I always have, it's, a, it's near and dear to my heart. One of the things I'm really focused on right now is the mentorship of young yeah. attorneys, young female attorneys in particular, and just sharing with them uh, my story and my uh, the, the stories of, of other colleagues and friends who have been in this business for a while. We're actually working on a new Pacific Northwest initiative. Um, so there are a number of in-house counsel and uh, law firm partners that are coming together to develop and craft a new program yeah. for, for young lawyers who work in law firms yep. um, to That's help fantastic. address this in an organic and safe space. Yep. And right now, is there any more satisfying part of your the time that you spend when you think about kind of personal professional fulfillment than being able to have that voice and empower others, other diverse attorneys to be able to get the opportunities and perhaps receive more opportunities than you otherwise sure. had to? Yeah. Yeah. You know, my grandfather used to always say, I don't want you to, to be like me. I want you to be better than me. Yeah. And that's what I think. And that's, that's sort of the, you know, what resonates with me as I, as I talk to young, you know, young professionals and even older professionals when you're trying to change mindsets. Yep. Right. Those who are maybe stuck in their ways or maybe come from a different era, <laughs> Yep. you know. You know, I think it's really, really important to be able to share my experiences, um, and if that helps to empower others, then I'm I'm doing my job. But it's important to be deliberate and not yeah. pay lip service to it, yeah. too, right? Because you can be an attorney of of color and or a woman and espouse to be committed to diversity, but if you're not actually out there doing yeah. the work, 
then, you know, you're not moving the ball forward. Yep. You won't be having the impact that you can have. No. Yep. Okay, I'm going to round off with a couple of my favourite questions. First one, advice that you'd be giving to your 25-year-old self. Keep going. Keep going. It's going to be okay. <laughs> It's going to be all right. It's funny. We never think at 25 it's going to be all right. We're all spent yeah, so no. much time worrying about just, what's uh, around. Just angst-ridden. Yeah. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. And finally, anything that keeps you awake at night now? Wondering about the world yeah. my sons are going to inherit. Mm. Yeah, my three sons. Yeah. So when you see so much pain and so much tragedy in the world, you know, and you're raising three beautiful young African-American boys uh, in this country, it can be daunting. And Katina, what do you do? How do you help create that environment that's going to be able to give them the best possible opportunity in such a challenging time? For us, our family, education is critical. Education is the key. And we focus heavily on that uh, tenant here and, you know, making sure they're safe and they know that they are loved and that no matter what they hear on the streets or on certain news channels or, you know, in school, that they are valued and they are valuable. And we always tell them, don't forget who you are and whose you are. You are amazing. Yeah. And that, for those of us who might have kids that are a bit younger, that being able to constantly reinforce that they are absolutely loved, that they are special and that they are capable of whatever they put their mind to and that whatever happens, you will be there you will be there to support them, whatever happens. That is yes. the most yes. empowering as a child growing up. That And it don't, it, you don't, <laughs> don't realise it back then. Yes. You don't realise that as when you hear those words or, or when you are the recipient of that kind mm-hmm. of love and affection, you don't yes. actually, that just the empowerment that provides gets stronger and stronger as you get older yes. and as you yourself face challenges so for those listening out there there is no such thing as too much love and too much belief (laughs) (laughs) never there is not sometimes you know sometimes Katina we think and I've seen this before we we sometimes we act like we only have a limited supply I don't know why we do it not necessarily with our children with people broadly sometimes we feel like the the love that we deliver the support we need to take care because we don't want to it's endless. Yes. It's endless. And the more of it us that, that come to that realisation, the earlier in it's, our lives, yeah. the, the, the greater the impact we're going to have. Exactly. And it's about the village, right? Yeah. It really, really does take a, a village. And I think that the more we have like-minded people who have, you know, goodness in their hearts and sort of get the the big picture and are willing to to sort of fight for what is right you know there's hope in this society so katina i've just had an absolute blast speaking to you it's been a wonderful experience thank you so much for joining me thank you likewise thank you for having me bye-bye for now thank you listeners for tuning into the show for more please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.